Hello, everyone. Welcome to Scent, CSF Scent. So my name is Ben, and I am a junior here at IUPUI. And basically, Scent is just a time where we invite a group of people to have a discussion about what evangelism looks like in a certain domain. So last, if any of you guys were able to watch last year's, we did um, some some of these videos, particularly with like Ratio Christie, which is an apologetics group. So where we talked about how to discuss different theological points with non-Christians. And so uh, today we're kicking off this semester with a CSF Scent focused on um, mental health awareness, which is appropriate given it's September. So Suicide Awareness Month, we wanna have a conversation about what it looks like for Christians reaching out to a secular world uh, surrounding mental health, as well as how we as Christians can support each other um, in these in these issues. So, with me today are um, the pastor and Mrs. Shetler, Seth Weir, and Michael Shetler. So, if you guys would go ahead and introduce yourselves. Yeah, I can go first real quick. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm a senior at IPOI. I'm a social work major. I'm also a partner with Ben. I'm with CSF Scent, so I'm also going to be. Um, involved, which I'm super excited to kind of jump on board and be a part of that. It's It's been a great thing ever since last year. It's been really impactful on the IPY community, and I'm excited to join. Um, but again, I, like I said, I'm a social work major, and I want to go into um, mental health therapy um, of adolescents. And so I have a psychology minor as well. And so kind of mental health has always been something that's really, really been on my heart. Um, and it's something that I've had to kind of go through with my social work education and um, so I'm excited to be here today and be able to kind of um, be a discusser in this specific discussion. So, yeah. Well, I am Jay Shetler. Um, I've got a doctorate in clinical psychology from Fuller Seminary, as well as a master's in theology. And I, um, before becoming a pastor, also pastor in City Chapel, but before becoming a pastor, um, had a clinical practice for about 12 years dealing with all kinds of mental health issues. In counseling, still have that practice. I'm not practicing there because of my uh, duties as a senior pastor, but pursued psychology at a seminary specifically to try to put together psychology and faith and to figure out how that worked together. And it continues to be definitely a passion of mine to say how does how do, how do we understand human beings holistically, um, and then also how do we uniquely as Christians have something to offer when people are wrestling with this area. And my name is Beth Shetler. Professionally, I'm a life coach, but I also partner with Jay at the church. And um, we do various types of um, therapeutic intervention with folks who are part of the congregation, um, struggling individually and or in marriages. Um, we also do premarital counseling because we believe that um, the intervention prior to marriage um, relationally is critical to the well-being of that family unit that is being established, but we do a lot of therapy in the church. Hi, my name is Seth. Uh, I am a junior majoring in neuroscience. Um, this is my first time being on San. I'm excited to be here. I have, um, currently I work in a research lab on campus that actually deals with um, studying addiction and how addiction and um, maladaptive decision-making or like poor decision-making are intertwined and how there's kind of that whole feedback loop of addiction and poor decisions and how those tie into each other. 
Perfect. So first, just to set up, um, so we're going to kind of have like two rounds of questioning, so to speak. So the first will be focused on evangelizing to uh, uh, the secular world as from a Christian perspective on mental health. And then second, we'll be supporting each other. So first, um, just to start pretty general. So in the US, I mean, you can read <laughs> the headline of pretty much any major newspaper and find multiple uh, instances of mental health, either in politics, uh, trying to figure out how to, how to deal with it politically, socially, um, pretty much in any sphere of life. And so what do you see as some of the biggest like mental health crises here in the US currently? And do you think that looking 10, 20 years in the future, do you think it's, it's improving or do you think it's, it'll be getting worse? And how so? Yeah, great question. Um, the stats that I'm familiar with would say that specifically anxiety, depression, suicide, addiction, things like that have been increasing significantly over the last number of years. Um, some of those things were increasing before we experienced a global pandemic, um, but that certainly accelerated the, um, especially anxiety. In the last number of years, my understanding is that anxiety has passed depression as the number one um, mental health issue um, across all age groups. And so whether you're young or old, that seems to be very much a growing, a growing issue. Obviously with the pandemic, you have lots of fear that can create anxiety, um, but there was pre-pandemic also lots of research emerging about the role of social media, especially in, in young women. Um, we, we do this social comparison thing, um, especially when you're young, but it happens even when we're older. And social media is like this hyper platform for comparing yourself to others and feeling like you're not measuring up. And so it can lead to uh, depression and anxiety as well. Uh, so I, yeah, and, and read about addiction headlines um, and the number of deaths that are happening from that and suicide as well. So we're, I think, in a mental health crisis right now with, with a number of different issues. I think from the student side of things in my area, so like I said, I'm in a social work background, which um, a lot of the students are hypersensitive to mental illness and um, the effects. And a lot of students actually struggle with their own um, mental illnesses. And I would kind of echo um, what Pastor Jay said, um, but it's definitely anxiety, I think, is the top one that I see a lot. Um, just being able to kind of listen to students talk and interact with them and depression as well would be number two. Um, and again, echoing the social media is huge. Um, but then I think at a time right now where we're at with adolescence, um, the stress is just through the roof. Um, not only are you trying to plan for your future career, um, you're starting to finish out development as a person. Um, relationships come into play where you're going to settle down with uh, marriage. Um, your life is just at a point where you don't know where it's going to go and it could go so many different ways and you're having to make so many different decisions that anxiety plays such a huge role in possibly you know, messing up one of those and um, the thought of your life kind of spiraling in a way you don't want it to. So um, I would definitely say from my experience, that's that's been the biggest one. Um, and to me, I've just been shocked at how popular and frequent um, these types of issues are with so many different individuals. Um, it's definitely more common than a lot of people think. Yeah, it's kind of weird the way anxiety can be opposite what you think. Like sometimes in the more affluent cultures, anxiety goes up. Like you think about telling someone you can be anything you wanna be. Um, that sounds like a great message and you got lots of opportunities, but when you have lots and lots of choices, 
stress goes up and anxiety goes up. And so I do think younger generation faces like there's so much pressure starting young ages to be successful, whether it's sports or extracurriculars, there, there's just so much pressure, I think, um, that I see a lot of anxiety as young people try and wrestle with big decisions and measuring up to, to, to high expectations for themselves, but then others, parents or others that have them too. I think we live in a culture where um, the expectations of success and what the ideal life looks like, um, so invested in materialism and, um, and particular professions, or um, we have a culture that says, this is what life ought to be like. And when it is so future focused and so, um, in, it, it's just beyond being present and being um, um, in a place where you can live life where you are. I think we, we stop being where we are and our, our, everything that matters is in front of us as opposed to in our current reality. And um, we stop living and we're always in pursuit. And I think that in and of itself creates a great deal of anxiety and we lose the, pres the, the ability to be. And um, I think that puts a lot of stress on our minds and on our spirits, on our souls. And um, just this attaining, this constant striving, maybe it's a culture of striving that um, creates, increases anxiety. And it's starting in our little ones to be professionals or to be astronauts or to be something and they stop being kids. And, and so just, we've lost the ability to be. And I think that increases anxiety in, in our culture and our kids. I think there's also, like you were saying earlier, technology plays such a huge role in that because you can't go, you know, more than five minutes without seeing so many notifications pop up on your phone, whether it be from news outlets talking about like the latest tra tragedy or some social media posts, you really can't, like you said, it's important to like focus on your life, but you're always getting dragged and reoriented towards some other thing that really doesn't matter, but it's grabbing your attention and grabbing your anxiety. And it's just exacerbating it and making it so much worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's such a good point, Seth, that we, I mean, it's, we hear the expression on demand in terms of stuff we want to watch, but it's about us. Like we're constantly on demand, like our, every notification draws us back in and um, it, it really, way back in the day I'm old enough to, to remember this kind of stuff but when you wanted to be on the phone you had to stand next to the wall where the phone was hanging and when you were away from that you couldn't be reached like there was this natural built-in downtime um, and now there just really isn't that natural downtime and with you know first it was laptops and now smartphone I mean you can take work with you anywhere um, you can take anything with you anywhere and always be available and the expectation kind of is and if I'm even trying to reach Beth and she doesn't answer her phone like right now I'm upset like we have this expectation of immediacy that um, just adds stress I think the pace of life is so much faster than it than it used to be at one point in time and so we don't have some of the natural downtimes that help us recover mm -hmm. uh, when stress goes and we know from I mean Seth you're studying neuroscience but stress um, affects the brain negatively we're naturally built to handle stress okay for short bursts of time but when uh, cortisol and other things in the brain um, do damage over the long haul 
And so it's important for us to find downtimes, um, recovery time for our body, for our mind, for our spirit. So now looking at this from a Christian perspective, like what, what could Christianity offer to someone who is, I mean, A, dealing with an acute mental, um, mental health issue or just trying to make it in this, in this fast pace and like, uh, like Mrs. Shetler was saying, this forward-looking, ambitious world that we can't just take a break from for five minutes because we're so attached to everything. So what does, what, what does Christ say and what can a Christian add or subtract in, in some mm-hmm. cases from, uh, from this? I think um, personally for me, the big thing that I've experienced through personal experience and just interaction again with the student body, um, living for something more than yourself, um, kind of talking about where we're always looking forward into what we're going to do, what our future is going to be like, what's next. Um, I think as a Christian, you're able to realize that you're living for something that's more than just yourself. And every single action you take reflects something greater. Um, and so being able to have that mindset and to be able to know that every action that you take reflects on your God um, and what he's done in your life has been really, really kind of impactful. Um, through my interactions just as a classmate and as a life group leader, also with CSF, um, I've seen that so much with students in the way that they've talked about um, their faith and um, Christianity as a whole. Is it, just, it gives them such more purpose and it gives them greater kind of um, you know, responsibility um, to be able to live out their Christian day-to-day lives and um, again, have a responsibility to um, project Christianity in a positive way and to do it with joy. Um, and so I think being able to know that we have a higher purpose um, is really helpful in those situations. I appreciate what you said, Michael, about um, what you think. And I have a, a new favorite verse this year, um, Romans 12, 2, where it says, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. And I think the last piece of that, that is then my aha is by how do we transform ourselves but by renewing our mind. And um, I've just geeked out lately about what neuroscience has discovered in the past two decades in regards to the brain and what we think about and the truth telling that we meditate on and, um, and its implications on our choices and how we change as human beings, and how we learn to, to be present in our life as it is in this moment and set our attachments to things like Michael was saying um, that are beyond us. And then I think that Christian walk is where you taste the sweetest life, where you really walk in what John 10, 10 is, you know, life and life to the full. Um, so to me, it is being very thoughtful and intentional about what um, we meditate on and what we believe to be true and um, to be, to marinate in that and to um, sit in that and just be very present in, in that as opposed to being bombarded by the messages of this world. I think one of the other things the church really has to offer is, is to help fight against the stigma and the shame with mental health. And actually I think the church too often has maybe added to the shame and the stigma um it's when you're suffering with anxiety or depression and you feel like that means you're a bad christian somehow um and you're going to experience judgment your natural response is to hide it um, not 
not feel like you can talk about it. And one of the things we know for certain is that mental health issues get worse in isolation. Um, and so the church ought to be the safest place for people to come and talk about uh, depression, anxiety, trauma, addiction, um, struggles with, with gender or sexual identity. I mean, anything like that that they're wrestling with. The hope would be that the church would be the most loving, accepting, safest place to talk about that. And too often, um, I don't know that that's true. And with mental health, we really need safe places to be able to go and to talk and to wrestle. Um, that's one of the, the most healing things about therapy is that, it, that therapists are trained to, to be a non-judgmental presence, just to be with someone. And healing happens when we can be that kind of a, a non-judgmental presence for people. I think it's also very important that Christianity is, isn't like a isn't a temporary fix to these types of things. Um, last summer, I did some research with the University of Missouri for an internship, and we looked at nicotine addiction and trying to um, look at the effectiveness of different behavioral treatments to it. And one thing that the professor that I work for really wanted to drive home with his research is the idea that mental health isn't something you should just, when you go through a crisis, you shouldn't then treat it and then ignore it afterwards. It needs to be a constant thing you work on, just like you would work on your diet or your exercise, um, bettering yourself. And I think that that's something that Christianity helps with a lot is, I think we can all attest times we're closer to God, we feel better, we have better mental health, I would say. Um, and so it, as we keep consistency with God, that's a consistent way to keep our mental health better and to exercise it in a way we would exercise our body or something like that. And I think Christianity is a very amazing way to experience mental health through prayer and talking to God and getting close to, with him. I agree with that. I think the scriptures have um have speak to this and we've missed it for for decades and decades but being attentive to what we think and um in corinthians it says take every thought captive and it's not a once and done kind of thing it's a constantly being attentive to what is true and um i mean we see that and i'm sure you're seeing that stuff in your research where the brain changes. It has the potential to change depending on what we think. And the more we think on something, the more um, um, it becomes a part of our automatic way of um, receiving information and processing information. And so um, it's so important that we attend to this on a faithful level. But the ripple effect and the, the research that we're seeing in brain scans on the health of the brain is profound. And then when your brain is healthy and what you think is healthy, your behaviors, like you were addressing at the top of this session, your behaviors change and your behaviors in, become in line with a life that is fruitful and thoughtful and responsive and not reactive to life. So I agree with you. Yeah, the number one treatment in the counseling world for depression anxiety is cognitive therapy, which is essentially thought therapy. And I think that lines up really well with our faith. I mean, when you read a lot of what Paul writes and you quoted some of those verses already, but um, you, you can't have a feeling without having a thought first. So if you're feeling anxious, you've had a thought that leads to that anxiety. Most people try to 
say, how do I deal with this, this feeling? I don't like my sadness or my anxiety. But in counseling, we say, well, no, we, we worry about the thoughts. When you take care of the thoughts, the feelings will change. And so paying attention to what we, we think about and um, Paul talks about whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, think on these things. And, and so part of being healthy is developing um, healthy patterns of thinking, paying attention to what our thoughts are. A lot of times we're not even aware of, of some of those inner dialogues we're having in our head. And so paying attention to our self-talk and, um, and asking if that aligns with God's truth. You know, what would God say to me about this? And um, I think there's just a lot of overlap and Christianity has a lot to offer in that way um, in terms of truth and what, what, what God sees as truth. But as Seth was saying, um, it has to be intentional. It has to be, um, you have to put effort into this way of thinking as sin um, natured beings that we are, our automatic thinking is going to be negative. Um, truth telling and life giving um, Thoughts are things that we have to take captive and we have to put effort into. And that's why the scriptures encourage us to do that because we won't automatically go that way. Um, but right, living intentionally choosing the truth sets us free. The other big picture thing that Christianity offers is hope. And when I think especially of suicide, I mean, the reason people commit suicide is hopelessness, really. They, they can't think of any other options or solutions for going forward and you know at its core christianity is about jesus life death and resurrection and um resurrection is all about dead things coming to life and and so that there is nothing there's no situation that we face that is hopeless in the christian faith and so just bringing that reminder of of, of the power of hope is really important and the redemptive this i think this is one of the key elements of our faith that we miss in culture that, and I don't think we even talk about it as Christians, but this concept of redemption, this concept of redeeming, this concept of taking something that was, could have been so traumatic and so life altering in a negative way um, where God all the time, we see it throughout scripture and we see it in life all the time. God takes a crisis and takes something very traumatic and not just restores it, but makes it better. I mean, we see it in our human anatomy. I mean, take a, a bone, you break a bone, you have this traumatic accident and you break a bone. When a doctor sets a bone back in its appropriate place, cares for it, attends to it, it grows back stronger. When it's not attended to and it's not fixed or placed back in its appropriate positioning, it's, it's useless and it becomes unhealthy and unfunctional. But when something is restored, we see it in muscle building. What is building muscle, but ripping fibers and having them growing back, you know, tearing something apart and, and it growing back and it becomes stronger. I think that's the hand of God all over where he can take a traumatic, horrific crisis. And what Satan meant to kill and destroy, God can take and make it even better than it was. It wasn't his intent. It wasn't his original intent to hurt and harm. But what Satan needs to destroy, God redeems. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things that his faith, our faith offers the, the world. Um, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the healing wholeness that he is waiting to offer the person who um, is open to receiving that. 
so we have this claim, this this claim of purpose, um, which we've we've spoken about a couple times now, um, and I don't think it's a wrong claim, <laughs> um, but we we hold these these truths about a purpose, a a reason, really capital R reason, um, and yet we see many Christians dealing with mental health, especially like depression, anxiety, and so like. What do you think that says to the outside world looking in that, oh, there's there's Christians who still deal with these, or is there something fundamentally different about how Christians handle these kinds of issues that the outside world could look at and, and benefit from and actually be drawn more closely to Christianity as opposed to, to pushed away or becoming ambivalent? Um. I would say first and foremost, the idea that Christians somehow don't struggle or don't deal with the same things that non-Christians do is complete garbage. And I think a lot of times people see Christians and see these perfect holier-than-thou individuals who never struggle and have everything figured out or try and live their lives that way. Uh, the truth of the matter is that it's not true at all. Um, Christians deal with just the exact same struggles that non-believers do. It's just we kind of go about it in a different way. Um, and this question kind of brings up one lie that I think a lot of Christians believe, and it's the fact that like science and faith are at odds. I think a lot of times I've, I've discussed things with individuals where um, they refuse to take certain medications or go see a doctor because they're waiting to see God move um, and influence them and, and work a miracle in their life, um, as opposed to taking what God has allowed humans to do as a miracle in itself from God. Um, one of the coolest kind of analogies that I've ever heard or stories that I've heard is there's a story of a man who's in a, a hurricane and his house is flooding and he's on top of his roof and a boat comes by and he gets ready to save him and says, hey, come in my boat. I'll save you. We can go to shore. And the man says, no, God's going to save me. So they go past. Next, a helicopter comes. They're like, hey, we're coming to save people. We'll lower a ladder. We'll save you. And he goes, no, I'm going to wait for God to save me. And then later we see a submarine come by. And the people in there are like, we're with the United States Navy. We're here to save you. You can come. He's like, no, no, God's going to save me. The man ended up drowning and he goes to heaven. And at heaven, he asked God, God, I waited for you to save me. I waited. I turned away the world and I waited for you to work a miracle in my life and save my life. And God goes, did you not see the three opportunities that I sent your way? Like, I think that so many times we just take for granted that God uses people so frequently um, to use his work. Um, and so, um, Again, I don't think that as Christians, um, the fact that we struggle with mental health um, has to do anything against our faith, um, but it's the realization that we have methods um, and beliefs that have been shown to be helpful in those situations. And it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect and never struggle because that's not realistic and that's not um, human nature, um, even as Christians, but that we have other tools that maybe non-believers don't, that we can lean on in times of distress, which I think is really a beautiful thing. I think that is something I see so much about the whole idea that Christians either think they're these perfect individuals or they try to act like that on the inside, they really aren't. I mean, it's true to some extent, fortunately, that there are a lot of Christians out there who try to act like as perfect as possible, but only when other people are there to see them. And so I think it's just so important for us as Christians to be honest with people about our own struggles and to talk about and have open conversations like the one we're having right now, so we can kind of destroy some of these um, 
misconceptions people have built up about the Christian faith and about how maybe we think that mental health isn't real or that, oh, we can just solve it immediately because we're Christians and we have some extra power that other people don't have, when in reality we do struggle with these things just as much as everyone else does. And I think it's important that we just share that with people like we are now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say, you know, I can put on my pastor hat now and say the same thing that when we see stories at church, it's not people who get up and say how perfect their life is and, and then God uses that. It's people who get up and share vulnerably about their brokenness and how they learned somehow to de depend on God more or they matured somehow through that, through that difficulty um, or how they experienced the love of their surrounding community and it's the testimony of brokenness and you use the word redemption, that, that, that idea that God can take something that's broken and somehow use it for, for good. And it's those kind of stories that, that really end up being a testimony to people who are broken and need hope. Um, and, and like you guys said, too often, I think we as Christians can come across, one of the sayings we have at our church is that we're, and it's not original to us, I, I don't even know where it comes from, but I'm sure we didn't make it up, but that the church is meant to be a hospital um, for sinners, not a museum for saints. And if you think of how, you know, many Christians may like put on their best clothes, put on their best face and show up. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? And go home and it's a disaster. Um, and so the more I think we can be honest about our struggles, I do, I do hold on to the hope too, that, that we can have um, improved mental health to some degree as Christians, because we have each other in community and that helps research says. Um, we have a lot of um, inspiration about our, our thinking and, and there, there is, I think, something that our faith gives us that should help us uh, generally cope with struggles better and to do better in crisis and things like that. But it's certainly, we're not immune to struggle um, because we're a Christian. Um, I, I used to think that they were maybe on this continuum and the more I grew spiritually, the less, the less mental health issues I would have. I would see them as kind of like completely um, different lines altogether. That you can be a, a Christian that has intense faith in Jesus, have a family history of clinical depression and suffer from clinical depression, and, and it has nothing to do with your faith or being immature as a Christian in any way whatsoever. It's it's more of a neurobiological issue, and it's it's your cross, part of your cross that you're going to have to wrestle with. And then God wants to use that as a way to minister to the people who may be suffering in, in a similar way. Um, so you can have very mature Christians who suffer um, addiction, who suffer anxiety or depression um, that isn't a willful choice or a, something that they're inviting somehow because they're not living a good Christian life or making good decisions. And I think the church has done a disservice in our, dare I say, ignorance of um, um, what's really happening with mental health. And I've heard um, psychiatrists and neuroscientists referring to the potential of changing it because it is so stigmatized, mental health is so stigmatized to brain health because that's really what's going on. It is it's an unhealthy brain, a brain that has been impaired and we can see this on brain scans, but outside of a brain scan, you can't see an unhealthy brain. And so if you can't see it, the church and culture um, says it doesn't exist too often and too quickly, and which is a real shame for those who have suffered. Um, but a broken arm, you can see, um, and other diseases that are, that are more visible get credence where 
things that are happening in the brain have been dismissed for too long, but I think we are finally taking um, concerted measures to um, validate that and even in the church and, and, and appreciate the, those who have suffered for so long silently or have been stigmatized, um, but our increased awareness through science, fortunately, <laughs> Um, especially the past two decades, has allowed us to be able to see the reality of, of mental health diseases and its implications on our lives that are, like if someone had a diabetes, we wouldn't consider them not spiritual. We wouldn't consider them spiritually um, negligent, but someone who has depression or anxiety and has a neurochemical struggle or an imbalance of some sort, and we equate that to a spiritual maturity is really so unfortunate. And now we have to undo that. And I think you guys doing things like this brilliant and it is so helpful I think to the broader community to the church community and educating and growing in this area and helping people who have really truly been neglected for way too long yeah I was surprised how many times um, back in clinical practice I would have Christians come to me um, about whether it's an addiction or or depression or anxiety and so they first tried to go to the pastor or someone in the church and, and just felt like it was oversimplified like if you just trust god more if you just pray a little more if you would stop making those bad choices and and really oversimplified i mean mo most of those struggles are not just complete spiritual issues um although i i, I would argue too the spiritual is part of everything like i was asking our church the other day if someone has cancer is that a spiritual problem and they're all like no 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 and i said well it can be there's a lot of people who lose their faith over cancer like it's not primarily a spiritual problem, it's a physical problem, but we're holistic beings. And mm -hmm. so um, we, it, it affects all parts of our, our being. Um, and depression can be a spiritual problem. It can affect our faith, um, but it, I would argue it's not most of the time by far, not a, primarily a spiritual problem. Um, it is a, it's a medical problem, um, but our faith still has a lot to offer as a solution. So this question may be um, aimed more at Seth and Michael, but I mean, you, Pastor and Mrs. Shetler, have certainly had experience in this, so please feel free to weigh in. But like us as IUPUI students coming face-to-face -face with a few hundred students a day, certainly many of whom are dealing with things like this, um, how do you think we can kind of practically uh, reach out or practically practically provide a space for them to be able to express their concerns and when do we know the line between sitting with someone and offering prayer and sitting with someone and taking them to somewhere a bit more safe like like or, or more equipped uh, for example caps so like how, how do we understand where the Christian line stops like the prayer and the talking and the clinical line begins so yeah, this probably would be more for <laughs> Pastor and Mrs. Shetler, but um, yeah, so feel free to answer whomever. Yeah, I think uh, with my experience as a life group leader, um, the biggest kind of influence in, on this has been vulnerability and the development of relationship. Um, I think a lot of time um, with evangelism in general, we want to go out immediately and just grab anyone we can and share our faith. But I think that a lot of times can do more damage than simply sitting down with someone, being real with someone, not being ashamed to share your problems, not being afraid to just be real and authentic. 
and that authenticity authenticity is attractive. And once you kind of initiate that and develop that beginning levels of trust, the other person will begin to trust you more. And through that and just development of a pure friendship, you're able to kind of share more about yourself um, in a way where it comes off way more naturally, way more understanding. And the person that's hearing it is way more kind of, um, I guess, apt to listen because they trust you as a person. Um, and so through my experience as a life group, that's just what I've tried to do is um, first and foremost, connect with you on a personal level. Um, and once you have a better understanding of that person, um, you're able to kind of share your faith and be able to um, kind of make those distinctions. Um, I think in terms of the, the question where like spiritual help as opposed to medical help, where's the line? Um, I think a lot of times, um, first and foremost, I guess in my classes, we discuss um, if any kind of thing is um, affecting someone's day-to-day -day daily functions in a negative way significantly or a risk of harm to themselves or others, that's when um, um, medical or clinical help is usually required um, if they're struggling to get out of bed, they're struggling to eat, they're struggling to shower, um, or they're hurting themselves physically or threatening to hurt themselves. That's when it becomes more of a clinical, like significant issue. Um, but I think a lot of times those two things are separated too often, where I think those two should be combined more frequently, where medical and the faith should be one. Um, encourage your friend to go to CAPS and get clinical therapy or go to the health and wellness promotion department and get wellness coaching um, and pray for them through that. I'll be praying for you in those situations. Um, I'm here for you. Um, God is going to influence you in that way. Um, but again, those other things that sometimes I feel like prayer can, can help with um, if it doesn't meet those criteria. Um, and I think it also depends on the individual. Um, at the end of the day, encourage um, people that you interact with that um, medication and clinical help and spirituality are not against each other and combined and whatever they're most comfortable with, um, show them the positives of both and stuff. And so I think at the end of the day, overall, emphasizing um, the unity of those two fields instead of the disunity. You know, it's interesting research has shown that um, for the milder mental health um, vulnerabilities, um, friends and people who just people who care who are not necessarily professionally trained but people who are just genuinely authentically empathic have just as much impact in the healing process as a professional therapist um now there are certain levels and i appreciate you saying this ben that where it's where um there are points where professional intervention is really critical and we can't be of any help and assistance anymore. Um, so to be watching for those areas. And I think Michael mentioned when they're gonna harm themselves or they you know, threaten to harm others or that they're not functioning on a daily basis, um, clearly. And, and you know, there are other areas as well, but this isn't a necessary assessment for that, but, but to not be so quick to push someone off either because you're, you're just your authentic heart. And I think the scriptures speak to this. How do they know that we're Christians? What's the best indicator of evangelism? Love, love, just loving them. Even though you don't know the answers, being there, authentically caring is um, profoundly medicinal. And its, it's implications are um, so super impactful. So don't be so quick to feel like, oh, I can't do this, what am I doing? Just being um, with someone in love um, has very powerful health implications. Yeah, and I really just would highlight what you said, Michael. I don't think it's a it's an either or, but a both and with that clinical line. 
Um, there were times, uh, I think of two different kinds of churches that I would work with and, and therapy, they would refer somebody and one church would be like, oh, this is bigger than us. This is, you know, clinical depression. Here you go. This person is yours to deal with. And then they just kind of drop, dropped off. And others who are like surrounding that, that person with love and community and support and then reached out and, and the counselor come alongside to be a part of that healing journey. But the church stayed just as engaged in, in offering support. And there's some really good, at this point, longitudinal studies that look at the, just the role of social support, that people who are in isolation, they just struggle way more when it comes to mental health. Um, actually, studies that show that people who eat well and are physically healthy still die earlier than people who are physically unhealthy, but have strong social support around them. Um, so the joke we say is it's, it's uh, better to eat Twinkies with friends than broccoli alone, is what we <laughs> say sometimes at church. Um, they, it's just remarkable. God created us to meet other people. And so um, the church offers community and that's one of the most healing things. So just because we, we, and we should, we should at times refer people to professional help, but that, that doesn't mean that we then just kind of back away and oh, we're handing them off to someone else. We don't have to worry about it anymore. I think the role also of, this is just echoing what you guys have already said, but just having that community, a lot of people, I think, with mental health feel very much like they're alone in that struggle that maybe they're embarrassed or hesitant to bring it about um, for a variety of reasons. They don't want people to look at them differently. They don't want people to change how they act now that they've revealed this part of themselves. So I think just having like a community that you know will love you no matter what you're going through or what's happening to you is very vital. And that way that when they talk about it with their close friends and the faith, their friends may be able to step in and tell them, hey, I know you're struggling with this. And this may be more than either of us can handle on ourselves, because I know that can be such a hard thing to admit that you can't handle this by yourself. You may need medical or professional intervention. And I think having friends who are willing to step in and say like, that's not shameful at all. That is a completely valid response or maybe even the best response in this scenario is very important. Um, and I think that's something a lot of groups that I've seen are good at is just having that open communication of non-judgmental, just sharing and being there to support each other. I think another thing too, um, talking about the impact of kind of community and support systems um, and mental health also just speaks to the importance of evangelism as well, where reaching out to someone, connecting with someone, you could be that person's community. You can connect them to community. And like mm -hmm. Pastor Jay was saying, how that can increase life, it can increase joy, um, but connecting people to the community makes evangelism that much more important, where we're not only, um, saving people for eternal life and eternity, but we could possibly be drastically improving their time here on earth as well. Um, because again, how impactful community is and how great of a community resource Christianity is with church, with life groups, with different, just hanging out activities, just having a group that can be there to support. Um, and like Pastor Jay was saying, again, the research just shows how impactful community is on mental health specifically and health in general. And so again, I think, it just kind of echoes how important important evangelism could be because again that one person you interact with in class or on campus or in your intramurals might not have a community and might be struggling we talked about the frequency of mental health and students especially 
you can be that person's community and connect them to so much more. And so it just kind of shows how important that can be too. There's just so, I feel like few healthy communities like that for a college student. And it makes what you said even that more important that there's not many, like once you get out of high school, I feel like there's not many places you can go where you can get a group of people that are connected and love each other as you can in the Christian faith. I have um, seen so many people, freshmen especially, because I'm part of the neuroscience club on campus. And a lot of freshmen came up like when I've tabled and stuff and been like, I really just want a community here. Like I need a group of people that I can talk to. Um, I think um, just a Christian group is so powerful for that. I think evangelism at its core should be almost accidental. I think we, as we walk with Christ, are, we should be tasting the love that is so sweet and so um, abundant that it overflows. And when, you know, Michael said at the top of this session um, about um, caring for something outside of yourself, it actually makes you happier. <laughs> it makes you a, a, a more satiated being. And so when we live with that, um, that sense of otherness and we, we live to love other people, um, people are going to be attracted to that because we're created, like we've been saying, to be in community, to be loved, to be known. I think the core of every human being is to be loved and to be known. And when we seek to know people and to love them, um, they're going to want more of that. And you almost don't even need to talk about Jesus. You will. Oh, certainly is. What is this all about? And it's all about um, our creator who created us to live and to be this way. And Jesus was the model. Yeah, that's probably where evangelism breaks down sometimes. We get the sense that to evangelize, we need to just start talking about God right away and kind of sh almost shove it down people's throats as opposed to just lead with love and uh, spend time with that person and until they be become curious and start asking questions about, about our faith or what's different about us. And, and that opens the door to be able to share. Yeah, evangelism is actually probably the biggest discussion that we have in our life groups where after we're kind of comfortable with each other and everyone's comfortable with like talking about those nitty gritty, you know, discussions, a lot of it is evangelism. And so many students are just so afraid to evangelize because when they hear evangelism, they think those people on the side of the street handing out Bibles, talking about Jesus to the person that just walks by. And mm -hmm. they're like, it's so uncomfortable for me to just go up to someone, just start talking about Jesus. Like it never goes right. And I think we just overthink it kind of what um, Mr. and Mrs. Shetler were saying um, how, again, it starts with connection and human connection. Um, and another, another thing that they talk about too is people are afraid to, when they go to evangelize, they're afraid of messing up and um, not knowing answers. Um, and that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where the idea that Christians are um, somehow better, healthier, more knowledgeable than anyone else. Sometimes being able to say, you know what, I don't know, but I will research this and look into it and we can learn together is the most humanizing and relatable thing you can say to someone where you're not coming across like you know everything, but you're on their level and you want to grow together with them. And so that's just something too. just evangelism is can be so much more um, doable than I think what we think. Connect with a person on a human level, gain their trust, love on them. Like uh, Mr. Shetler was saying, show Jesus's love to people. And once they feel that love, they're going to want more of it. Obviously, it's the most powerful and amazing thing on this earth. And so once they see that in you, 
that's when it can just be a natural conversation to be like, hey, you want to go hang out at our CSF event we got going on? Um, we got games, we've got food, we've got great conversation. You know, it's just as easy as that. Um, you don't have to overthink it, I think. It's really hard to be self-righteous and arrogant and lovely all at the same time. And so if we focus on loving, um, we stay humble and authentic, like you were saying, Michael, um, I think that is the most winsome um, place to be. And it's the most effective evangelism there is. Yeah, so so thank you guys. Uh, that was kind of wrapping up our evangelism uh, uh, topic portion. So that, that was awesome. Um, so now let's let's go ahead and shift a little bit into how we can help our own brothers and sisters dealing with uh, these types of issues. So first, we've talked about it a couple of times here, but I'm going to reiterate it because I hear it a lot and I hate hearing it. <laughs> so, um, and it's the idea that Christians are like not allowed or it's it's sinful for them to deal with depression or have suicidal thoughts. Um, and I mean, this comes from the basis of there's numerous passages in the Bible that say like, have joy and be joyful. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Um, and I mean, Christianity, as, as I've uh, said, and that you guys have uh, said, is that the purpose, it, it provides a purpose and a denial of self. So all of that added together leads many people erroneously to conclude that when a Christian is dealing with something such as um, depression or suicide or anxiety, that they're sinning because they're breaking commandments. And so I'd love if you guys would be able to kind of address that issue of how do we, A, tell a Christian that it's okay to have these thoughts and, and that it's okay to reach out for help, and B, how do we have that discussion with someone who has those opinions um, and bring to their attention um, how dangerously detrimental telling someone that they can't talk about that can be. Yeah, that's, that's, I had a young adult just message me the other day with that question. I heard a peer talking on social media about how we shouldn't feel anxiety. And if you do, it's sinful because the Bible says, do not be anxious about anything. And that, that has an automatic way of, if someone is struggling with that, just holding it in. Like, I don't want to be a bad Christian. I don't want to. And so then they don't share it. Um, I think it's in Matthew six or seven. It might be seven where Jesus is talking about anxiety. And it, the, the New Living Translation translated ordinary anxiety. And I think there's something helpful about distinguishing between, you know, in that situation, it's like people who uh, were putting trust too much in their material possessions and were trusting God. And that can lead to anxiety. Like when, when you rely on something that is as unreliable as your income or something like that. And, and God is saying, no, that, I'm inviting you to live different. I'm inviting you to put your trust in something bigger. And so when, when God gives us rules, it's not, it, it's always for our, for our life. Like it's, it's um, John 10, 10, you may have life and have it to the full. So it, it's so that we have a full and abundant life. Um, so no, he doesn't want us to, to become anxious about things that are unnecessary for us. That's a, you wouldn't either as a parent, you don't want your kids walking around anxious. That's a loving thing. Um, but it's very different than somebody struggling from post-traumatic stress disorder or generalized anxiety disorder um, or an addiction or clinical depression. Um, to me, those are just in a completely different realm. And we need to be, there was a research study I heard just last week at a conference that said churches that talk from the pulpit about mental health issues just once a year 
have a 40% reduction in mental health issues in their church. Um, it's pretty amazing what happens when we invite people to open up about their struggles and um, to feel like they're not alone in it. And then they, they start talking about it. And that's one of the best ways um, to get help is to talk. Um, so yeah, I, I could go on and on. I just think it's critical that we in the church help fight against the stigma and the shame. Shame is like the first consequence of sin we see way back in the, in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. And shame shuts us down. And often mental health issues bring shame. And um, God is all about healing that shame um, and inviting us to, to come back into the community where it was lost before. And I'm not a theologian, but I think we, that scripture about don't be anxious about anything is, I think it's misinterpreted, if I would be so bold as to say. Um, what I think God is, what I hear God telling us is there's nothing that is outside of my ability to speak into your circumstance and bring healing and wholeness. I mean, if we really, if we really recite the entire scripture, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with thanksgiving in prayer, or don't be anxious about anything, but in everything in prayer, with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which supersedes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I think it's a template of what we do with anxiety. He wouldn't say it if he didn't know we would struggle with it. Everyone struggles with some level of anxiety and he's giving us tools. He's saying, there's nothing, nothing that I am outside of. There is no anxiety that I'm not aware of and that I can't help speak into. And, and one of the ways that you can address it is pray to me, call out to me, ask me, petition me, please help me. He's speaking to people who are anxious, so we're going to be anxious. And he's not saying all unbelievers, this is only for you. Paul's speaking to the church of Philippi. And so um, he's saying, don't be anxious about anything, but be thankful because thankful is, is an attitude that influences the way your brain works and what you do with your thoughts and how it makes you feel. And so to me, it's a template of how to handle anxiety and what to do about it. Not that you're a sinner if you have it, but that there's nothing that he can't step into and help bring about healing. And sometimes that's medicine, um, truly, but it's, uh, medicine is a synthetic version of something our brain already was intended to create. And for some reason, I'm, you know, we're in a sinful state of, of this side of eternity, um, our brain's not working right. And so um, to know that he, I think the concept that we shouldn't be ill ever or have any kind of struggles as Christians is a misunderstanding of scripture. I would say one quick thing to add, because I think Mr. and Mrs. Shetler really hit the nail on the head and really covered it really well. But um, I think in general, in terms of understanding and reading scripture, context and cultural understanding is huge. And it can be dangerous to read just a verse out of context and take it to heart without knowing what's being discussed in the passage, what they're really talking about. Um, of course, some stuff is up for debate, but a lot of times I think we see verses um, just like on bumper stickers or online. And we're like, oh, the Bible says that. I have to follow that to a T. Um, when we don't understand necessarily what's going on in that conversation, um, in that culture, we're in a totally different culture, you know, that's also important to understand cultural difference and stuff like that. Um, but again, just in general, um, and that can obviously be applied, like Mr. and Mrs. Scheller said, to mental health. Um, but just in general, too, when we're reading our Bible, make sure we're reading it um, intentionally and understanding um, kind of the context and what's being discussed and um, what 
with the cultural norm in that day and age. I think I want to highlight as, something Beth said because the go ahead, Seth. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was just gonna add that as like we learn more and more as a scientific community and as a human population about the science behind, you know, addiction, depression, anxiety. It's just my hope that we will get more acceptance of the fact that it is not, you know, something that you caused by your sin, sin that um, brought about your depression or your mental illness, just like how, you know, there was a time when we didn't know what a virus was or what a bacteria was. We just knew something bad was happening to them. And I really hope that as we discover more and more exactly how these mental illnesses come about and what is happening. And as we educate people about that, that it will just help clear some of these things up. Amen. Well said. I was just gonna highlight, this kind of goes back to what Christianity has offered it helps, but there's a lot of even secular research that now is talking about the benefits of gratitude. Like gratitude is one of the most helpful things that can change your brain, change your emotion. Um, so, so the Bible talks a lot about being generous, being grateful. That's so healthy for us as human beings and even forgiveness, um, the role that forgiveness plays, um, in, in our own emotional and mental health is hugely important. And those are things that throughout scripture are just really highlighted. Yeah. And I agree, Seth, it is so exciting to see what we are learning through science. And, you know, as Michael was saying, as a Christian community, we have got to stop being afraid of science. Quite frankly, I think science is catching with scripture. I think if we, when what, the more we learn in science, the more we see that that truth already laid out in scripture. Um, we understand scripture in a deeper way, um, but boy, how many um, centuries ago were we nailing holes in people's heads because they had a headache and we just did not know what we were doing and we would never ever endorse anything like that today. So we have got to stop being afraid of science and embrace it. It is a, it's a, it's a beautiful um, avenue to understanding our creator um, more deeply and more profoundly. Yeah, thank you. So for our, our, our final question, most of this uh, that we've talked about has been focused on others, which is great. I think Christians should be focused on others. Um, but then what do you, how do you think that like you, like the listener personally, like if they begin to, to see themselves approaching some type of crisis or some type of um, break, whatever it may be, if, if it's something smaller, like the stress of school or something larger that they've been dealing with for a while, like, what would be your best advice to how they could utilize their resources? I, I just wrote out in, in descending order of importance, like the Holy, we have the Holy Spirit first and foremost, and then we have the Bible. Um, and those two kind of represent what we have at our disposal spiritually. And then we have our parents and pastors who are like the great authority figures that we should see in our lives. Um, and then we have friends. Um, and so like, how do you think that someone who feels themselves approaching the brink of, of something or somewhere they don't want to be, um, how can they begin to utilize those, those different avenues of help as they, as they get closer? I think two things that come to mind, first and foremost, pray about it. Um, say, God, I'm going through stuff right now and I really need you with me during this entire process. Um, I think that's first and foremost, as Christians, 
God is the center and most important figure in our life. And so um, interacting with him and communicating with him like he's the father he is, is really important. But then also we've really hit on community. And I think that's huge, reaching out and being vulnerable and talking to someone about it. I think the most dangerous thing to do is just hold it inside and try and deal with it yourself because that can just you know increase the problem. Um, but again, like reach out to someone, family, friends, if you don't have anyone like that, DM our CSF Instagram page. Like we have people that are there and want to help and want to be there, non-judgmental people that are there to love and give you the best help spiritually um, and medically, you know, um, and also take advantage of a lot of resources on campus. Um, we have a lot of free resources. Um, I'm actually, um, I work at the health and wellness promotion department, IPY. We offer health and wellness coaching, which you know, enables individuals who want to make a behavior change to change. So if, if you're like struggling with stress or with school um, or want to make a behavior change in that area, we can help you through goal implementation. Um, CAPS we talked about, which is our psychological side of campus, offers free counseling sessions with clinically trained um, individuals, at least for our initial session. Um, so we have tons of resources, but it's so much easier to be able to find those when you have a support system and you talk to people about it who know more and are able to help. Um, so I think first and foremost, those two things are just huge. Um, interact and speak with your father and Jesus and find people to help you. I, I personally have struggled both with depression and anxiety. And I have found every one of those tools to be instrumental in my healing. And I feel at this point in my life, I am living um, as fully and as unencumbered by those as I have ever. But I have um, a walking, vibrant relationship um, and prayer life with my God, who is my most solid sustainer, my foundation. Um, I have a, a very alive relationship with my husband, um, who I find community with and some great reminders of truth in regards to when I'm vulnerable to some of the things that I'm hearing in my head or battling with. I have friendships that are just so important to my well-being. I exercise with them. Um, I have also, and I still today take medicine. It is very, very low, but I have taken high levels when I was most vulnerable. Um, but I am kind of the whole package of those tools and have, and I'm now feeling like I am walking in really great freedom. Um, but I also embrace that my brain just didn't want, didn't want to create something that um, most everyone else's brains who aren't susceptible to this are, are, are creating on a regular basis. And so I have a synthetic version of that through medicine and I'm thriving. I'm feeling amazing. It's not um, incapacitating as it was in the past. So, um, and I love to tell people this because I think the more we can talk about the fact that we can live a vibrant um, life with um, these interventions, these various interventions um, um, that I believe have been given to me through God, um, his word, community, and my intimate relationship with him has really brought healing into my own personal life. And now I feel like I can use that also in my life coaching and counseling with others um, to point to that freedom that is waiting for all of us. One of my favorite verses in scripture is uh, first, first Thessalonians 5, uh, 23. It says, uh, may God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. 
And I think it's just important to highlight that God doesn't just care about us spiritually. He cares about our spirit, soul, and body. He cares about our whole being. And one of the things I would encourage um, students, adults, anyone, um, is to not wait for stress or mental health to come, but, but work at being as healthy as you can, because it will come. If you're not experiencing stress or a crisis right now, you will before long. Um, and so sleep, hugely important for us. Um, paying attention to our diet. There's a lot of research that says exercise is one of the most helpful things you can do. Um, research says it's often as or even more helpful as medicine sometimes in treating mild to moderate depression um, and anxiety. There's something about exercise that just helps give our brain healthy stuff um, and do healthy stuff in our brain. Um, so paying attention holistically to ourselves. And I know we've said this a million times, but community, community, community. I'm, I'm amazed at how many times where the message is more, I think, um, you know, you just depend on God more, just rely on God more. And if you go back to the beginning of the story, you had God and Adam, no sin, perfect relationship. And God looked at that picture and said, this isn't good, that there's something missing. And it was another human being. And so even just having this relationship with God without sin, nothing in the way, it just wasn't complete. And so we need God. We should turn to God. There's no doubt about that. But God created us intentionally. Um, to need other people, to need other human beings. And sometimes we experience God best through people with skin on. Um, and so that whole idea of, of, you know, we can go to God. Um, sometimes we need to go to someone else who can speak on God's behalf to us. Mm -hmm. And having that person present with us is really powerful. Yeah, yeah I think that about covers all of it is really on one hand, going to God and keeping up a healthy prayer life and a healthy lifestyle, and then also reaching out to others, because sometimes, you know, it is something that you can't solve yourself just because it is a sinful fallen world. And that's the reality of it is that we won't always be strong enough. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just how life is. Amen. One of Jesus' least popular promises in the Bible is in this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> that was a promise like it's not hey become a christian life's gonna be easy it's in this world you will have trouble but he goes on to say um that have hope because i have overcome the world so um if we you know don't ever recruit anyone to the christian faith by saying hey life will just be uh, easy if you accept christ it just ain't true um but we have community and we have jesus with us um, and that makes all the difference in the world Yeah, awesome. Thank you guys so much. Um, I think this this conversation has been both both incredible personally as well as um, I, I think CSF as a whole will greatly benefit um, from being able to hear people openly talk about these kinds of things. Um, Thanks for doing what you're doing. Yes. It's really, really yes. amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Michael and I have been getting ready to to hit CSF by storm this semester. So this is this is a great way to kick it off. And super um, impressed that you invited Seth on our scientists. Just a brilliant piece of our understanding. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. Once we once Michael and I were talking about this being a a, a thing that we were going to be doing, I, I thought it'd be fun to get Seth on board. So yeah, thank you for being here, Seth. Of course. All right, so I'm gonna go ahead and pray. Um, and then we'll go ahead and end the night. So yeah, God, thank you so much for allowing us to have this time to talk about how we as Christians can both 
deal with a world um, in crisis um, as well as deal with ourselves when we reach those points of crises as well as supporting our other uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I pray that this conversation will be able to help as many people as possible that you'll you know, pop this up on people's feeds when they need it most and that they can come back to it and just hear these words, these, these words of truth that were spoken by, uh, by these people. So thank you so much again for, for uh, Pastor and Mrs. Shetler, Seth and Michael for being willing to have this conversation. And um, yeah, in your name we pray, amen. Amen. amen.